0: words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So last weekend, um, I did something I've been wanting to do, uh, crossed off my bucket list in this year that I turned 50, and that was to go to uh, Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And um, so a lot of this sermon that I'm going to share with you today uh, is from a friend who's a priest that I was with a lot uh, in Mardi Gras, New Orleans, and so if you're thinking right now, she is justifying having gone to Mardi Gras in New Orleans, you're, you are you could be right. You could be right. Um, my, my friend Tommy is a rector in Baton Rouge at a... A creative church, St. Margaret's, and we were hosted by fellow colleagues uh, there, and it was wonderful, and a lot of this ideas and text, and also Tommy is uh, a prominent um, example uh, about halfway through this sermon. so For 40 days, Jesus has been in the wilderness in our gospel, and Luke tells us that he is famished who wouldn't be famished after fasting for 40 days. Jesus is lightheaded, exhausted, his stomach is aching. This time in the wilderness reveals to us the very human side of Jesus. We encounter no miraculous superhero Jesus here. Instead, we reconnect with the vulnerable the hungry, the weakened son of God, we first met in a manger at Bethlehem. Vulnerable, human. But now he has all grown up, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. In this weakened and vulnerable state, Luke tells us that Jesus comes face to face, with evil itself, personified by Luke for us in the character of the devil. And even though you've probably heard this story many, many times, and I've delved into it many, many times, the perspective that uh, is new to me is from a colleague uh, in the Episcopal Church, Susan Russell, And in her blog, she points out not how to dig deep into what each temptation represents or how we have to get strong against temptation following the model of Jesus, but she talks about what this passage in Scripture means in terms of how we interpret the Bible. It's a textual, scriptural showdown between evil and Jesus, and how scripture is engaged for the purposes either of profound, divine, godly purposes or for absolutist purposes to justify a position. So, Susan Russell says that this scripture passage, this scripture showdown is not to teach us to follow Jesus' example standing strong in the face of temptation because that's kind of an easy way out because we know that we will not always stand strong in the face of temptation we are human there is one savior we believe that jesus has faced every temptation for us and died for us and risen for us So trying harder won't necessarily help us, but understanding and loving deeply and forgiving more freely will. So again, her focus, her emphasis is that perhaps what Luke is trying to impart to us is how Jesus understands and uses holy scriptures. And that is our challenge for Lent. There are five scriptural quotations within 13 pretty short verses. And that's an unusual clustering in such a short passage. And notice what happens. The devil tempts Jesus the first time about turning a stone, into bread to help his hunger. And you know how tempting bread is when you're trying to give up carbs, let's say. (laughs) But this is even more serious. Jesus has fasted for 40 days and, and the devil tries to tempt him about turning stone into bread to help with this crazy, deep, aching hunger. And Jesus comes back at him At evil, personified as the devil, he comes back, he responds using a metaphorical interpretation of a passage from Deuteronomy that he certainly would have learned as a young boy. He says, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. So that answer is from Deuteronomy. So then the devil presents a second temptation, and Jesus responds this time with an historical interpretation of the scriptures, a retelling of one of the very basic commandments, the core, the strong core, that core that you're trying to develop in your spiritual life by giving up that bread, right? By giving up the carbs. It's the core of scripture. Again, from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's how Jesus responds to the second temptation. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. For a faithful Hebrew, this commandment, again, it's the heart, it's the core of his or her faith. A repeat of the portion, of a portion of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This is the core of faith. So notice what the devil does next. For this is the linchpin of today's story. The devil, evil incarnate himself, out of all other options, decides to use scripture But not in the ways that Jesus uses his scripture, not in metaphorical or historical ways. Instead, the devil uses scripture in a much more dangerous way, an absolutist, literal way. Very, very dangerous. The devil says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. To protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up. So that you will not dash your foot against a stone. That's from Psalm 91. In other words, evil. The devil is saying to Jesus. Take these scriptures so literally. That they serve for you. Not as a living word of hope. But rather as a suffocating last word of judgment and literal death. For if anybody throws themselves off a cliff, they will die. Jesus, human as he is, included. So if you obey that scripture so blindly, trying to obtain life, you might lose sight of the death that will result for you. Jesus responds to that scriptural temptation. Again, from Deuteronomy, and it's an historical interpretation. He says, do not put the Lord God to the test. And with that, and this is our gospel reading, good news, right? So, but this is kind of an ominous way to end the reading. It says, and with that, the devil departed leaves Jesus for a more opportune time. It doesn't say that the devil leaves forever. It doesn't say that Jesus won and that's it. It says the devil leaves Jesus for a more opportune time. These days, as modern Christians... We continue to wrestle with how to read and use the Bible. As Anglicans, we go back to what we've learned in our basic classes about the three-legged stool the, of Anglicanism, Scripture, reason, and tradition, that we lean on all three to make our decisions theologically, ethically, morally. Necessary for salvation are in the Bible. But the Bible is not a document to beat someone over the head. It's a history to engage and to learn about the living Word of God. So the call today, in many ways, is for us to re engage. To go deeply. There is nothing simple about any word or sentence of our Bible. And our call is to engage deeply, thoughtfully, metaphorically, historically, faithfully with the word as it has been given to us. The challenge today as we enter this first of the Sundays in Lent, is how is it that we will read scripture? Will we follow Christ's model and allow these scriptures to be a springboard into the divine life of God, a springboard into the history of God's interactions with the world, a springboard into the story of our Christian and Hebrew ancestors? Will we let these scriptures be a living, breathing document that have life and vitality? Or we, will we succumb to the temptations of a simplistic, literal, absolutist view of scre- scripture that leads to false temptations with no reward? So walking around in Mardi Gras, we encountered a group of Christians with signs that said so many hateful things. There was nothing grace-filled or transformative love about the words, God hates certain people. You are evil. Because to them, to those Christians, everybody walking around in a costume At Mardi Gras is gay, and they think that is a sin. My friend, just as an aside, told me a story about when he had been walking around and saw a group of people with those same signs just yelling at people as if they were going to transform lives with God's hate. And he walked up to them, this priest, and he just said, God loves you. God loves you. And the person kept screaming, but God hates gays!" And he said, but God loves you. God loves you. And there was just this intense, transaction, this intense confrontation with someone who thought that they knew what the Bible said and of someone who knew what the life-giving word of God meant. My friend Tommy said that the next day he actually got an email from this person who wanted to engage him in continuing conversation. Tommy had given him his card, and got an email, and they did talk. They did talk. He laughed and he remembered um, uh, particularly well Dressed person, one Mardi Gras, going up to the people with those hateful signs saying, you know, you're wearing a, collie, a cotton poly-whatever blend, and that's also a sin in Scripture. We are called not to, to nitpick, to prove that we are right to use scripture to beat each other over the head, but to engage with the testimony, the history, the stories of our faith community going back thousands of years to find the strength to trust God when we are aching with hunger, to find the strength To trust God when we are nervous about the future. To find the strength when we are vulnerable and in a place of wilderness where we see very little life. To trust that God can bring life out of what seems so lifeless. I remember being with our group in the Holy Land celebrating a Eucharist at the place where Jesus made his fast in the wilderness. It was beautiful and stark, seemingly lifeless, until you paid much closer attention. There is so much life when you pay close attention. And in the wilderness, in the wildernesses, metaphorical or real, of your life. God has given us a tool. God has given us a history. God has given us a revelation in the scriptures to know that we are not alone. God is with us. God loves us. God is calling us. To resist easy answers, to resist hate, and to trust that though we will make mistakes over and over again, our Savior is with us, always, always.